This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly sponsored by McDelivery, bringing you the food you love. As a city supporter, we know you value delivery and McDelivery is up there with the very best. You'll always be winning with McDelivery because just like Kevin De Bruyne, McDelivery puts your order right on a plate. So the only thing left to say is, are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can also get rewards points delivered as well. So that ordering today means some tasty rewards for you tomorrow. Only via the app at participating restaurants, 18 plus, rewards registration required, points only on menu items, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Manchester United 1, Manchester City 6, it's 2 for Dzeko. Tottenham Hotspur 3, Manchester City 4. They have made the impossible possible. Hello and welcome back to the City Report podcast. I am Amos Murphy. Joining me as always is Adam Booker. Hello, Adam. Hello, Amos. How are you doing, Adam? I am good. I'm excited to be doing this episode. It feels like the the kicking off point for the rest of the season. We'll get back into kind of a, a regular schedule now. So, Yeah, yeah. We obviously had that mailbag a couple of weeks ago. A lot has happened since then and, and we'll dive into it all. And um, I'm also delighted to say I'm joined by Ollie. It's your second appearance, Ollie, pulling on the shirt again, getting those preseason minutes in. So it's superb to have you back with us. Just itching for the season now. Yeah, yeah, it feels like that, doesn't it? What we are now, early July, we're nearly there. We are nearly there. Um, if you are new around here, then please do make sure to follow and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you listen along on. Hit five stars if you can rate and review us as well. Well, as we mentioned there, Adam, last time we convened, it felt like we're in for a busy summer, but not nearly as manic as the one we've had so far. It does seem like somebody's pressed the reset button at Manchester City and we are looking looking at a completely new football club as we return from our summer breaks. Um, just like we did last time, we've asked for questions on social media. That was at City Report Pod on Twitter. It's a fairly new Twitter account. Um, if you've not already, go over to Twitter and drop us a follow. And we're just going to discuss the state of affairs at City because depending on who you ask, it feels like the world is collapsing at times. One of the biggest talking points right now is, of course, Raheem Sterling. As the guest, Ollie, I'll let you have first dibs on this question. It comes from Manai J, who asks us, 
Has Sterling been an integral player for City over the last two seasons? And will his departure be as sorely felt as some people are making out? I, for the last couple of seasons, have been firmly in the camp of Raheem Sterling needs a new start. I love him, don't get me wrong. I'm, I'm, I really appreciate what he's done for the club since he joined, I think seven years ago now. I think he, he's he been an amazing servant. He's come up with some huge goals, some huge performances. And I mean, especially over the course of uh, a couple of seasons, he was probably our best player and certainly our most important attacker. However, the last couple of years, his levels have dropped. Um, he has still come up with a couple of big important, you know, big important moments and goals. Obviously, the assist uh, for Gundogan at the back end in the last game of last season was one of them. But he, he just, for me, has been extremely frustrating. I, he, he's just not been consistent. And I don't think he's, he's finished, to use a term from Twitter. I think he just needs a fresh start, a new coach, a new team. I think he will strengthen Chelsea, and I do think he'll he'll recapture the the, the razzle dazzle Raheem Sterling that we've seen before uh, for us and previously for Liverpool. But I, I, a lot of people make the case for Sterling staying because Haaland's here now, and that might change things. I, I don't think it will. I think for me, he just needs that fresh start. Um, I think for all parties, it's it's probably just best he moves on. Um, I'm happy to be told I'm wrong. I'm happy to be told that there are other opinions out there. I know there are a lot of people that think he, we should be keeping hold of him. Um, but for me, it's the right time for him to go. Well, by virtue of being a Manchester City fan on, on Twitter, you will know that there, there are other opinions out there and, and someone will tell you you're wrong. That's just how it goes. But yeah, I think it's interesting, obviously, um, of the three people on this pod today, two of us are of English persuasion and, and coming at it from an England point of view and, and obviously we're in a World Cup year, a fresh start for a team still could be devastating come the winter if he's really finding his form and, he, and he's in confidence. But from a City point of view, which I'm sure you'll talk us through in a second, Adam, it feels like it could be a seismic move and one that really shifts the sort of fabric of cities last, well, since Pep Guardiola arrived. Um, some numbers then on Raheem Sterling's City career. He's played 337 games for the club. He's scored 131 goals, 94 assists. He's won Premier League, four Premier League titles, that is, sorry, five League Cups, an FA Cup, and a few Community Shields scattered in there as well. Make no mistake, Adam, Sterling is a city legend, regardless of whether or not you think he should leave, whether or not he shouldn't. And it, it like I said, it does feel as though when he leaves, this is going to be a, a really big moment for the club, whether or not it's this, this summer, which it's in, increasingly looking like it will, or whether it's in, I don't know, 10 years' time. Yeah, you know, I think um, I think we're kind of caught in the moment right now that we've seen, like Ali mentioned, a bit, bit of uh, the up and down Raheem Sterling in the last few years, um, obviously between... Kind of 2017, 2019, he was such a key member of the squad, probably was the first name on the team sheet at the time. Um, and obviously in, in recent years, his importance to the team has kind of been been much debated around the city fan base. But one thing you can't debate is, is 225 goal contributions mm-hmm. in his city mm-hmm. city career. Um, it's a shame, you know, Ali mentioned obviously that he doesn't think that the arrival of Erling Holland really changes anything for Raheem Sterling. I don't really see it that way. It seems that he plays his best football when he has a central number nine to play off of, whether that's Luis Suarez, Sergio Aguero, 
Harry Kane for England. Um, that seems to be when we see the best Raheem Sterling. And I don't think it's any coincidence that the the kind of two or three seasons in which um, we haven't seen the best Raheem Sterling is when City haven't really had a recognized number nine at the club. Um, you know, there was obviously long stretches where he was the number nine and that didn't really work out well. Um, so I think it's a shame. I would have liked to see him stick around for another year. I think um, that if you get Raheem Sterling back to playing the way that we we know he can play, then he's obviously a, um, would be a really important member of the squad. And, you know, with one year left on your contract, you think the kind of perfect scenario is, you know, keep him around for another year, let him link up with some of these new attackers coming into the club, see if that kickstarts things and, and gives him the refresher that he needs within the club. And if it doesn't, then you can say, well, you know, it didn't work out. You can go anywhere you want for free at this point. Obviously, the club would want to make some money off of him. But um, yeah, I, th- I think it's a shame. But if he goes to another club, whether that's Chelsea or you know, if he goes abroad and he succeeds, then then I'll be really happy for him. And I will never have a bone to pick with Raheem Sterling. And, and I'll just be happy to see him succeed anywhere. Yeah, well said. Really well said. Um, some more numbers then, Ollie since Raheem Sterling came in. 2015, 16, 2016, 17 were sort of transition periods for him, just finding his feet. Obviously, Pellegrini and then Guardiola came in a year into his stint at City, but it was 2017, 18, where we really, really saw him kick off. 18 goals, 11 assists. 2018, 19, obviously, these two are, uh, this is in the Premier League, I should say, these two are title-winning seasons. 17 goals, 10 assists. 2019, 20, the, the blasphemous 2019, 20 campaign, but he still got 20 goals. Just the one assist there but but as Adam mentioned he was sort of taking up that goal scoring mantelpiece a little bit more 2021 10 goals seven assists and last season when many have dubbed it one of his worst in a city shirt 13 goals and a further five assists I think most City fans now are resigned to seeing Sterling leave and as disappointing as that might be there has been one part of this transfer that has caused quite a bit of anger and that and that is the reported fee which as we record on the day we record, the the, the last mooted uh, number in terms of the transfer was around forty five million pounds. I think it was forty million pounds with with five million add-ons. I can't remember which way it was from from Chelsea's end. What's your take on that then, Ollie? Because obviously he's in the last year of his contracts, and we've seen this sort of increasing trend within world football of players either running down the contracts or getting towards the last end and then being on a cutthroat deal, but. Do you think £45 million for a player of Raheem Sterling's quality, whether or not he leaves on a free next year, is is low? Do you think it could be higher? Do you think that's about right? I, I think because he's in the last year of his contracts, we've got to consider not necessarily the price that we're going to get for selling him, which I suspect will be somewhere with around the 45 to £55 million mark, depending on uh, add-ons you have to consider the cost of not selling him. If Raheem Sterling is well aware of how he can perform best. And if he's looking at City with a recognised number nine in front of him, and he still doesn't believe that in a year's time he's going to be prepared to stay, then the cost to City to not sell him is, let's meet in the middle, say 50 million, because I do suspect it'll be higher with the add-ons, say 50 million. And he's taking 15 million pounds a year in salary the cost to the club, and when we take into account the net spend, amortised contracts, etc., we're looking at £65 million in lost opportunity for revenue. £65 million is a lot of money. That's an Erling Haaland and Julian Alvarez. Um, 
So I, I think the fee is, is roughly about right because at the end of the day, it is about the year left on his contract. And also there's an issue of recency bias that happens. Would we have got as much as we did for Gabriel Jesus if he hadn't have gone on that run of goal scoring form late on in the season? Similarly, vice versa, would we be getting more for Raheem Sterling if he hadn't have had what is, quite frankly, a fairly mediocre year to 18 months? We probably would. So we have to take into account, one, his recent form, two, his happiness and the fact that that is our policy and we don't particularly want anybody that doesn't want to be there in the dressing room. And um, three, the fact that we, we probably want to take the money. We're not in a great bargaining position here. So I think around 50 million plus the 15 million we take back on unpaid wages over the next year. I think that's about right. And in the current market, we can probably, if we opt to do so, um, I don't suspect in the end we will, <clears throat> but if we do opt to do so, I think we'll get a decent replacement for that cash. That's the rational answer. Um, Adam, do you subscribe to that? Because obviously there's been a lot of chatter about the fee. It's probably been the main talking point around this transfer as soon as that sort of that plaster was ripped off, or as you say, Band-Aid was ripped off for the, the fact that he was going to go with Chelsea initially trying to hand it about £35 million, which I think was probably laughed off in City HQ. And then reports that City came out and said that they'd be looking at closer to £60 million. As Ollie says, somewhere in the middle, £45 million for Raheem Sterling with a year left on his deal. Yeah, that sounds about right, does it not? Yeah, £45 million, £50 million with some add-ons for you know performance bonuses and, and trophies won and things like that. Um, look, according to Transfermarkt, his, his, his market value right now, regardless of his contract situation, is £63 million. Um, to me... If City are looking at this like they are selling a player based on the level they know that he can hit, um, then s- between sixty and seventy million is probably the the market value for me when he's you know in the middle of a contract. Um, so I think if you get somewhere in in the range of fifty five to sixty after all of the add ons and, and bonuses for a player with twelve months left on their deal, a player that's not particularly happy at the club, I think that's a great deal. Um, especially when you look at the other money incoming in the club uh, in in the rec- in recent weeks and and the players that City still want to buy this season or this this summer, so it's a shame when you think about the money spent to get him and how much better of a player he's become in the years that he he's been at the club. Um, but I think you know if if he wants to go and and he's got twelve months left on his deal and you get somewhere between fifty and sixty overall, then then I think kind of have to take that. Like Ali mentioned, the the cost of of keeping him around, kind of knowing you're going to lose him for a free at the end of that one year is is probably too much to stomach. So I think all around it, it works out. I think you have to give praise to to the player himself, Raheem Sterling, who, without knowing him personally, you, you suspect that he's not one who would sort of try and drag City through the mud here. He, he came out very early on in the summer and said, or not personally, but the reports were that he said that he wanted this done before pre-season, basically, and he didn't want to sort of leave on a free. That helps City out, obviously, whether or not it's keeping him or whether or not it's selling him. I guess the counter-argument here is the fact that if City had, and it's a point I made in, in the last in the last podcast actually, but Raheem Sterling can't sign a contract extension at City if he's wearing a Chelsea shirt. And with the addition of Erling Haaland and the sort of dynamic of the squad and the shake-up and the potential for more minutes and uh, sort of to, to feel happier around the place, then that, that, maybe you take that risk and you say, right, no, you stay in. 
we're not going to sell you to a, a direct rival in Chelsea, where whereas Arsenal, I think, are at least one tier below City in the sort of, in in the Premier League hierarchy, potentially even two. I think Chelsea are probably just that one tier below, but definitely have the potential to break in and, and sort of challenge Liverpool. So, and, and that's a signing that I definitely help. So, it's it's a it's a very difficult predicament. I think City find themselves in. I personally think it's possibly ten million pounds short, but I don't know if that's being a little bit greedy. Um, we'll have to wait and see what what the figures are when they come out. But it, it does look as if Sterling's going to go. So I'll give you the last word on this, Ollie, because because Adam and I have, have sort of waxed lyrical about Raheem Sterling in the past. But if he does leave in the next week or two, where do you think he ranks amongst those sort of those cult heroes, those those legends of Manchester City? You thinking likes of Vincent Company, Sergio Aguero, uh, those sorts of players in the past? Where does Raheem Sterling fall into that list of the players we've had in the last decade or so? Probably one down from that holy trinity of statues outside yeah, the ground. Yeah. You know, I think uh, probably the Fernandinho bracket. <laughs> uh, wonderful servants of the club. He's been around a long time. You know, he moved here under really difficult circumstances as well. Um, the Liverpool fans, to say the least, didn't make it easy for him. Uh, the media mm, and the mm. press certainly didn't make it easy for him. There was a lot of focus on his fee, on his mentality. Um there were a lot of questions over who Raheem Sterling is on and off the pitch. And I think he has just shown himself to be an ultimate professional at the end of the day. He's come into City, he's played and performed for the most part under all of our managers since he's been here. Um, well, I say all of them, I think it's two. Um, yeah. Signed just before Pep came in. And yeah, as I say, for the most part, he has done very well other than the dip over the last 18 months or so. But I also think he will be remembered for, with, with a wry smile, some of the negatives as well, i.e. the patchy form at times and obviously some of the most notorious misses that the Premier League and Champions League has seen in front of goal in recent years. But yeah, I, I mean, I can't stress it enough. I, I, I love him. I think he's been an unbelievable player for us. Um but if he can't see a future for himself at City and we're keen to move on, if he's not going to sign an extension, then yeah, it's probably just best for all parties that he goes. But I think he'll be remembered fondly. He'll be remembered up there. And I think for now, at least, he's in the top 10 for City goal scorers, right? Yeah, yeah, certainly. I think it's number 10, actually. And it's bizarre, isn't it? Because if you'd have said when Raheem Sterling arrived in, in what, 2015, that he'd leave City a few years later and they wouldn't make a profit on, on the transfer, you'd go, what on earth went wrong there? But but to bring it full circle, when you go back to those numbers, 337 games played, 131 goals, 94 assists and absolute bucket load of trophies it does put it into perspective as to, to how good he is and and we have to face it we've gone through one of the most successful periods in the club's history there's going to be change players can't stay forever they can't go on forever they can't play forever and it looks as if Raheem Sterling is going to be heading for the exit door but that's just one potential mover in the attacking positions of course because Erling Haaland and Julian Alvarez are obviously on their way in it had been reported that City weren't in the market to add another attacker during this window with those two having come through the door. But despite Sterling and Jesus's imminent departures, there have been murmurings about Serge Gnabry from Bayern Munich. Now, 
he's an interesting player. He's had an interesting career. Famously, Tony Pulis at West Brom said that he'd never amount to anything and, and he's gone on to have a superb time of it. Um, the former Arsenal man's contract then, Adam, is ending next season, I think it is. But for me, I think this is possibly a non-starter. It, it, it's led to a question from Joel and it's asked basically, is, is Gnabry a viable still in replacement? And whilst those those that noise is there for now, I think it's unlikely we see Serge Gnabry at the Etihad next season, don't you think? Yeah, it seems unlikely. Um, Some of the reports coming out of some pretty credible um, city-related journalists is that the club is not really uh, sniffing around this player at all. Um, It's an interesting one whether or not the club brings in another attacker overall. Um, Obviously, a lot of reports have suggested that players like James McAtee and Cole Palmer are going to get more minutes in the first team this season. Um, if that's the case, then you maybe couldn't see another attacker coming in. But if, if, you know, inside the club, they feel that those players aren't ready, then maybe they do need another attacker for, for depth purposes. Um, yeah, it's, it's an interesting one because I don't see that happening, but when you look around at the kind of players that are out there and for the fees that a lot of clubs are demanding for players these days, especially from clubs like city, it's, it's, it's hard to see where somebody is going to come in that fits the mold of, of a city attacker for any sort of reasonable fee and kind of slot straight in, especially when you consider the the kind of um, highly touted one-year buffer an attacking player needs at the club. <laughs> so, yeah, I don't really see any sort of uh, attacking moves further on in this summer. Yeah, yeah, definitely. That that one year spell is is sort of turned into its own little trademark, really, isn't it, for attacking players under Pep? Um, Ollie, then he's in terms of Gnabry himself, he's a tricky direct winger. He can play with both feet. He knows where the goal is. He's got international experience, Champions League experience. Sounds like the perfect fit, but the chances of City going into the market, as we've mentioned there, they seem a little bit slim, don't they? Obviously, there's still rumours about Kukurea at left back and and that Sterling, which is a completely different topic and it seems baffling, but Sterling has to be sold before City can go back in and, and buy another player. We'll wait and see if that one pans out. But in terms of attacking wise it, it doesn't look as if there's going to be anyone else possibly because there's not really anyone that can fit the mold no and and, and this raises the question as to where going back to sterling again in a sense is that is it sterling that we're going to miss and that people are crying out for a replacement for or is it just generally that profile of sterling and jesus in terms mm. of speedy mm. line breaking wide wingers but if we're looking at a situation where Cucurella is going to come in or another left-footed left-back in a similar mould to uh, a certain left-back that I won't name that probably won't play in blue ever again, is that we were looking at a system where as we were going to have overlapping full-backs, which Cucurella would bring us again, and those kind of inverted wingers that are going to exert more control on the back line to cut inside and open up the space either for uh, an on-rushing number eight or for for the number nine to get space or an overlapping fullback. If we are looking at that kind of situation where we want the, the, the inverted wingers, then Sterling and Jesus won't be missed too much. But what it does leave us a question of is who is the other left-sided winger rather than the right winger that people are saying we need to replace. On the right, we're going to have the left footers in, potentially Foden, uh, depending on where Pep sees him playing this season, uh, Mares and Cole Palmer. On the right, we only really have Grealish. 
Um, I think I mentioned it in our last podcast that I was on Amos where I could see perhaps Chancello playing a more advanced role because of some of the questions over his defensive abilities. Perhaps he's the one to fill in at left wing. But I actually think it's going to be a right-footed left winger that isn't perhaps a get-behind-the-line kind of player, but another in the mould of a Grealish, a Mares, a Foden, a Palmer that can cut inside, control the tempo of the attack, and then either look to give it inside to an on-rushing number eight, find the number nine, or lay it off to that overlapping fullback. So do we need to go back into the market? Possibly, although not for the kind of profile that people think we need in that Sterling or Jesus replacement. But if we don't, I suspect that we are going to sometimes find ourselves short at left wing again, unless Chancello is going to be the one to step into that gap. So one to think about um, and the kind of question that I think Pep Guardiola gets paid for. Yeah, definitely a question that's way beyond our payroll. Um, one one part of this that I find interesting, to say the least, is is the fact that if you go back and ask any City supporter over the last, what, three seasons, who's the most frustrating players? Probably top of either list would be either uh, Gabriel Jesus or Raheem Sterling. Now, it looks as if both of those are going to go. And as soon as both of those are looking like they're going to go, the clamour is to replace that exact same profile now obviously the 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 caveats that would be if you could get somebody like Gabriel Jesus or Raheem Sterling who was more clinical you'd have a, an absolute world beater but you can't just produce players like that at, at willy-nilly so it, it, it there's that sort of contrast isn't there the fact that we're getting rid of it looks like two players who have caused the most frustration and, and sort of switch into a different sort of way in, in which City attack but now the the desire is still there to have that sort of same direct pacey line-breaking attacker, like you say. So it'll be, it will be really interesting. I'm really looking forward to it. I never, ever, ever get excited for pre-season, but I'm really looking forward to see those first couple of games and just see how it lines up. And, and you know, there's there's no chance that it will be exactly like that on, what, July 30th when City take on Liverpool and the Community Shield. But just to see, it, for example, if Foden starts on the right or whether or not he starts on the left, which is actually a question we'll get to immediately because Manai Jay has asked us again... That, his questions came as as the same part. I've just split them up into two. But but they've said, what do you expect expect City's starting front three to look like next season? Adam, I'll let you have first go on this one, and I'll just list off who we think will be in the City attacking squad uh, for the twenty two twenty three campaign. And that's obviously Harland Alvarez, as we've mentioned, Riyad Mahrez. Phil Foden, Grealish and Cole Palmer is expected to get minutes as well. So out of those players, who do you think will be the, the ones that say a big Champions League semi-final or a big game away to Liverpool at Anfield? Who, are you, who, who do you think will be the, the sort of the stock front three? So I think there's two combinations, two variations that would give me equal confidence. Obviously, I'm going into this with, as we all are, a ton of curiosity of how Erling Haaland fits into all of this. I think that's kind of the the biggest question going into this season, you know, a lot of people are obviously talking about uh, how do we deal with the lack of wingers now and, and you know, the the profile of wingers that we have. But of course, there's the huge Erling Holland question of how he fits in, who he links uh, links up with the best and and things like that. Um, and of course, my, my two front three variations both have Holland in the middle for both of them. Um, and I don't really care at this moment in time as he, if he is flanked by... Riyad Mahrez on the right and Phil Foden on the left, or potentially Phil Foden on the right and Grealish on the left. I think with 
potentially Kukurea coming in and um, having, you know, maybe Cancelo on one side and, and Kukurea on the other or, or Walker on one side and Zinchenko on the other or Kukurea on that side. You've got the combination of wingers that can come inside, link up with Holland, link up with the number eights, and then you have the overlapping fullbacks to give you width. Um, so I think kind of any combination of that, those two front threes would would work for me. And just to speak on one thing about people kind of um, acting like the sky is falling over Raheem Sterling and Gabriel Jesus leaving, quote unquote, unreplaced. I've seen a lot of people say things like, well, how do we counterattack now? We don't have the pace. We don't have the, the kind of dynamism that Sterling and Jesus gave us. Has anybody watched Erling Holland play football in the last two years? <laughs> That's how we're going to counterattack. We're going to slot a ball in behind and he's going to run like a freaking superhero down the pitch and, and collect the ball. Um, so I'm not really concerned about that because if you if you see Jesus and Sterling leaving as one profile of player, one profile of, of attacker leaving, we do have new profiles of players coming in in Alvarez and Holland that do add another dimension to the attack. So, um, yeah, anyways, from the original question, any combination of Holland, Mares, Foden, Grealish is my is my perfect front three. Yeah, it's been it's been a weird couple of seasons. We've covered this loads and loads and loads, Adam, but we've spent the last, what, 24 months or so with this false nine system and, and football for Manchester City has been, and trying to analyse it for Manchester City has been so bloody complicated because you don't know where people fit in best. You don't know who's playing where week in, week out. I feel this upcoming season or next season, whatever you want to call it, is going to be a lot simpler in the fact that Erling Haaland will play as a number nine, sometimes replaced by Julian Alvarez, depending on the opposition or the competition. And there'll just be two wingers either side, whoever they are, they're good enough to do it. So it, it does feel as though we're heading for a, a simpler time. You actually mentioned there, uh, obviously, the incomings, Haaland and Alvarez. And, and personally, I think it, it's possibly gone under the radar a little bit because this, the, the deals were done so early. And then following that, the departures have, have come off the back of it in, in Jesus and Sterling. But it's gone under the radar that City are bringing in two attackers. It's not like Jesus and Sterling are going out and then City just going to have to scramble from the bargain bucket and try and mm-hmm. find replacements late on the window. I don't have any at all. City did their business in those positions. And and like I say, I think it's safe to say Haaland starts as that number nine, isn't it, Ollie? It would take a, a big shock to see that. But um, in terms of either side, who do you think should should flank the attack given that on one of those big games? Yeah, similar to Adam, I think it, it might largely be dictated by the back line almost. Um, I mean, some, some visualisation here to be done. But uh, listeners, close your eyes and, and, and imagine almost a football manager style of how you're creating the team from an attacking perspective. The way the way we lined up a lot last season was that when we had controlled possession and we were sat quite comfortably in the opponent's half, the way we attacked was that we had the wing backs playing inverted and occupying the half space. We'd have one of the number eights pushing forward into the front line. The false nine would push back forward into the front line. And we had the two wingers, usually wide wingers, Foden left, Jesus right, Foden left, Sterling right, um, creating a front line of four. I think the way we're going to apply it this season is that we're actually, in a sense, going to have five flat four if we're attacking down one side and that we're going to have an overlapping fullback or two we're going to have the two wingers cutting inside and operating in that half space and then we're going to have the central striker usually being Erling Haaland so I think the way we're going to operate is that if we have 
two wide fullbacks available, i.e. Cucurella and Chancelo, Cucurella and Walker, we're going to have those inverted wingers, and it's most likely going to be Grealish plus one of Mares and Foden, or of course Cole Palmer, who I'm a huge fan of, uh, and I hope we see a lot more of him this coming season. Um, if we don't have Cucurella available, I think we're going to see Chancelo back as that inverted half-space fullback as we push forward on the left side, and he's more likely to be paired with Foden as that left-footed winger to for him to take up the wide positions and Chancelo to take up that half space. So I think the way we set up at the front is almost going to be dictated almost entirely by who's available at fullback. Um, because it's really important for Pep, you know, how those triangles work as we go forward between the winger, the fullback and, and, and the number eight on each side. It, it's going to entirely depend on them. I think in an ideal situation, we are going to see Grealish and Foden. Um, but there are questions here. You know, Grealish has got to step up from last season I think he was good the, the the numbers perhaps didn't help because he didn't have that number nine ahead of him um in the way that he was perceived from people that don't watch City week in week out but all the underlying stats are great you know in terms of ball carries ball possession ball retention all of these things but again it affected his game not having somebody running on the outside of him he'd kind of do his thing and and, and hold the ball away from two players and then his only option really was to give it to Chancello coming on the inside of him in that half space where he wants to be. So I think Pep's ideal situation is that we're going to have two overlapping fullbacks with Grealish, Haaland, Foden, or Mares, who he loves. Or we will see Chancelo revert to that inverted role. And the front three will look very, very similar to last season. It's going to be Foden, striker, in this case, of course, Haaland, uh, and Mares on that right-hand side. And I think Grealish will almost be the victim of a lack of wide fullback being available. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And it, it really does depend on on the where this Kukurea story goes. And it looks as if if Sterling does go the money, like like I said, going back, it, it seems City have the money anyway, and, and the, the sort of departures already would suggest City have the money. But if Sterling goes, it looks as if they'll go in for Kukurea, whether or not he comes in, whether or not he starts, don't think he does. For, for what it's worth but he'll definitely get minutes and then you do feel Grealish will will sort of be able to flourish and and to go back to that football manager analogy it feels as if City's starting lineup next season could look a lot more balanced and I don't mean that in terms of personnel because City have for the last five years had a very balanced squad I mean literally either side will look a lot more symmetrical and, and both flanks will, will sort of operate in the same way where as you said you've had uh, Cancelo cutting in, playing as a midfielder almost. Kyle Walker's done his thing on the right, etc., etc. Um, but going back to those sort of attacking positions, then and one name that's mentioned, of course, is, is Phil Foden. It feels like it could be a really, really big season for Phil Foden, and whether or not you need it, he, sorry, whether or not he needs it, is, is up for debate. I thought he did fantastic last year. He filled the gap at false nine and played centrally when City most needed it. I think go back to sort of February time. There was, there was a period where. Uh, Foden scored four or five games on the bounce and all of them came inside the six-yard box. So he, he sort of really did develop that predatory sort of smell in front of goal. It looks as if, though, with the arrival of Erling Haaland, he's he's never going to have to play there again, which for some people is a big plus because they, they didn't think he had the best season last year. He's obviously a crucial player for City, that, that goes without saying. But with Haaland on his way in then, Ollie, we've had a question off Mo, who's asked us what 
would Foden's best position, or sorry, what should Foden's best position be next season? But more importantly, what are his aims going into the new campaign? Anywhere he wants. Put Phil Foden <laughs> on the pitch, anywhere he wants to play, and I think he'll do a job. And you'll notice just then, when I was talking about how we're going to set up across that front three, the one constant there is Foden. Whether mm. we need him to play on the left, whether we need him to play on the right, I think he is almost wasted at false nine. Um, but, I mean, hell, he's still probably the best player that we've got to do that job mm. at false nine. He is brilliant. I think we'll see more of him at number eight this season as well. Um Again, if you're looking at our squad depth, funnily enough, it's actually that number eight position where we might be considered a bit short. We've got three players, as it stands, for those two positions. We've got Gundogan, Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne. I think the fourth is intended to be Foden or Grealish. Mm. Um, Honestly, I think wherever you put him, I think he's going to do a great job. I think if you want him to spray the ball from deep, as we've seen him do for England, if you want him to play as that pacey wide left winger, he can do it. If you want him to play as that... Um, inverted right winger, he can do it. Really, I think you know where, wherever he wants to play, and, and and just to put his brilliance into perspective, Cole Palmer is coming into the season at 20 years old. I think by the time Foden had hit 20, he had two Premier League titles <laughs> and maybe over 100 appearances in total across all competitions by then. Yeah. So we talk about Cole Palmer as special, and then you think Cole Palmer's hopefully going to have his breakout season now. And by that age, Foden was almost an established first eleven player, and that that is for good reason. We we can trust to put him in any position we want across that kind of front four or front five, and he will do it. Where we'll see the best of him, I think, will be as an inverted right winger with a proper number nine ahead of him and a number eight supporting him with an overlapping fullback. I think that's where we're going to see. All of his attributes, his dribbling, his ball retention, his passing to find the right pass, and of course his ability to cut in and finish as he did against Liverpool, I think, in that uh, that lockdown game. That brilliant goal when he cut in from the right-hand side. That's where he can show off all of his attributes. But we will see the best of him, I think, wherever we play him. Um, and for me, he's, he's alongside Kevin De Bruyne as, as the first name on the team sheet. Um, and his aims, in terms of his aims, I think really just to keep doing what he's doing. If there's one part of his game, or maybe two, you could say, that, that might need some improvement, I think one is that tempo control. Pep talks about it a lot. You know, he needs he needs to just know when to slow it down and not to be the kind of 110 mile an hour Phil Foden. I think that's something that he probably needs to work on a little bit more. And if we didn't have Pep Guardiola, we wouldn't know about that. It's just that Pep, being the perfectionist he is, likes to talk about that kind of thing and his finishing um i think there were a couple of occasions or more than a couple of occasions last season where he'd fire one at goal off the left and he'd kind of drag it past the post off the right um i think he can be a little bit more clinical but i mean these are minor complaints the guy is brilliant um and i think his aims over the next three to four years are going to be really to try and capture a ballon d'or in a champions league winning city side really because uh, there's not at the age of 22 actually all that much left for him to achieve yeah bloody hell that's that, there's your expectations there's what his aims are in the next yep. season um the very top <laughs> yeah adam obviously his, his nickname is the stockport iniesta and that isn't just sort of for novelty reasons you can see the comparisons in the in the way the two play and and we've discussed it we, we've had on air off air online offline etc we've had chats about where phil foden's best and it feels as though these next sort of, I don't know, 12, 18 months or so, we could be heading into an eternal 
debate whether or not Phil Foden's best position is as a winger or as a midfielder. Now, the, he can play both. I think that's that's sort of to to again go back to the football manager analogy. He's got a big green dot next to his those positions. But in terms of your personal opinion, if you were to say now you could only have Phil Foden playing in one of those positions, and I know this is hypothetical because he can he can easily do both. He can he can probably do both at the same time. But if you had to lock him down to one position over the next sort of twelve months or so this season, where would you prefer to see him get the most minutes? I think this season it would remain out on the wing, whether that's left or right. I'm happy to have him. Like Ali said, I'm kind of happy to have him anywhere on the pitch, um, either at right or left wing. It's an interesting one because the rumblings we've heard out of the Foden camp this summer has been that he is interested in playing on the right more often than on the left, even though we've seen him either centrally or or on the left in the last few seasons. Um, But then Pep Guardiola himself has been pretty adamant about the fact that Foden's long-term future is in midfield. Like we all thought Mm. when he was a 15, 16 year old, we saw this kid coming out of the academy. And what we saw was long-term David Silva replacement, whether that's a um, fair tag to put on a 15 year old or not. Um, But it's interesting, you know, we, we mentioned earlier the fact that a lot of people thought he had a quiet season last year. Um, the false nine is an inherently quiet position. The only player I've ever seen play the false nine consistently and not be quiet is Lionel Messi. And there's probably nobody on earth that's going to hit the same heights that Lionel Messi hit between, you know, 20, 2009 to 2000, kind of 14, 15 at Barcelona. So, um, yeah, I Are think you saying his, best his posi- PSG time hasn't been up, up there with his best best years, Adam? Is that is that what you're implying? I don't think I turned them on outside of working obligations after about <laughs> match week four. That's how yeah. bored I was of, yeah. of Lionel Messi at PSG. Um, but yeah, as far as Phil Foden goes, I think, like Ali mentioned, that playing him on the right wing where he can cut inside onto his left. I think that's the perfect position for him because he's he's been playing well in a wide position, but if he can cut inside and he can operate in the tight little spaces like we know he has the unbelievable ability to do. Um, I can specifically remember a few different times uh, against Atletico Madrid in the first leg of the Champions League um, round a quarterfinal this season where he went on these mazy dribbly runs down to that right touchline and, and cut some balls back across. And obviously um, one, one play down that right side was the assist for the Kevin De Bruyne goal that won the tie. Um, but yeah, I think his best position is out wide. And as far as whether or not we could see him operate as a midfielder, like a lot of people are kind of clamoring for, I think like last season, the only way I could see that happening is maybe in some cup ties to give the likes of Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne, Ilkay Gundogan some rest. Um, or if somebody like Cole Palmer breaks through and, and hits another level and kind of um, is forced to be played more, then maybe that pushes Foden into midfield where that would add to the to the depth a bit more. Um, or maybe Grealish gets slotted into midfield a bit. So, yeah, anyways, long story short, um, I think his best position, position right now is still out wide, and, and that's where I'd like to see him play. 
Well, you say long story short. I'm about to make that story a lot longer because we've got two questions left and it's heading back to transfers. And, and one of them to start off with is about incomings. And it comes from Balogun, who asks us, after Calvin Phillips' arrival, how do we see City's midfield functioning next season? Now, obviously, he's joined from Leeds United. There's a, there's a fantastic, I'd urge anybody to go and read it if they can, um, whether or not you've got the subscription or not. There's a fantastic piece in The Athletic about how City managed to get this transfer for so so cheap. And it's essentially the fact that Calvin Phillips was so set on Manchester City, he was not going to force his way out of Leeds, given the, the connection he had, but, but definitely had power to make a transfer sort of viable. And City were going to either get him for twenty million cheaper if Leeds went down. They didn't, so the sort of the 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 desire was there from all parties. So go and read that if you can. But it, it definitely adds a new dynamic to City's midfield. Um, Adam, we'll flip it straight back to you then. How do you see Calvin Phillips's introduction affecting City's midfield next season? Not that much, to be honest. Um, I know there's been a lot of talk of how oh, we've got Calvin Phillips now, we're going to see a double pivot. But, you know, Calvin Phillips' arrival, um, and this is no um, this is no insult to Calvin Phillips, is is a depth signing. You know, he's a, yeah. he's a youngish player, he's 26, he has plenty of room to grow. You know, he's only been at, at Leeds his whole career. Um, and with Fernandinho leaving the club, Rodri has made that, that um, pivot midfield role his own. He's probably the best in the Premier League at that position. Um, and obviously the arrival of Phillips does give City and, and Pep Guardiola the option to play the double pivot maybe in, in times like the, the back half of that Real Madrid game last season. Maybe you go to a double pivot and you have a bit more of a shield in front of the back four or something like that. Um, but I don't think it changes your opening day midfield three. I think we're still going to see Rodri, Bernardo Silva, Kevin De Bruyne. Um Calvin Phillips is obviously a great signing, a great depth signing, and he can probably play in the six or the eight. Um, I spoke to you, Amos, a little bit about mm. kind of what he's been able to do for England. And obviously I've watched him at Leeds and playing along deck playing alongside Declan Rice for England, he does have the ability to sit and kind of shield the the back four or five. Um, but he can go forward and he can be kind of, you know, powerful and dynamic. So He's another dimension to the midfield, but I don't actually think he comes in and shakes up anything unless he comes in and he gets some minutes and he's absolutely unbelievable and undroppable. Um, but I don't necessarily see that happening right away. So I, I don't actually think it changes anything in a major way. Yeah, I was having a conversation with a, a Liverpool supporting friend when, and I promise you they're, they're few and far between. But he basically said when the rumours started picking up, where does Calvin Phillips play for City next season and I bluntly replied saying on the bench and he was like what what do you mean England international 40 odd million pounds well and I was saying no no he, he'll come in and he'll offer cover it's as simple as that and it's no detriment to his quality and and again going back to that athletic piece a good line I think it was Sam Lee who, who wrote it but he said that City were looking for someone who wasn't going to want to usurp Rodri straight away. And that is certainly sort of the mould and, and the sort of way you can imagine Calvin Phillips operating, coming and working with Pep Guardiola, for example. You saw how Marcelo Bielsa transformed him into this sort of this gem in midfield. Well, Pep Guardiola's cut from the same cloth, really, isn't he? So he, he'll definitely offer City. He'll get plenty of minutes by, by being on the bench. I don't mean they'll only play 10 games next season. He'll get loads and loads and loads of minutes. But it won't necessarily be, if we go back to that sort of Champions League semi-final, uh, right now, I don't see him sort of squeezing him way, his way past the Bruyne, Bernardo or Rodri. But he'll definitely 
offer plenty and uh, and it looks as if that's going to be the way it is doesn't it Ollie obviously he's we've watched him as as proud Englishman for for under Gareth Southgate's uh, swashbuckling team it looks as if he's going to come in and, and sort of play second fiddle to Rodri immediately but we know how he can he can operate alongside a, a regular defensive midfielder and how he can do that cover and that defensive work as well at number six yeah I I, I don't see Phillips as a depth signing so much as I see him as a breadth signing if that makes sense I think (laughs) I think Phillips brings a completely different profile to Rodri you know Rodri isn't the fastest player on the pitch and he is perhaps not the most capable of getting across the pitch laterally to screen the defense in a in a kind of high energy setting Rodri is a professor of football he is almost uh, he's almost the epitome of, of Pep Guardiola's mm-hmm. ideal central defensive midfielder in a similar manner to, to, to Busquets at Barcelona um, and what he converted Joshua Kimmich into at, at Bayern. Um, Rodri is a very specific, unique and gifted profile of footballer. Phillips offers something different. I feel like Calvin Phillips is the almost a Fernandinho regen. Um, you know, he's, he's there to be an enforcer. He is there to get across the pitch on in a lateral sense and screen the defence. He's there for his energy, his tenaciousness, um, and quite frankly, and I'm sure he'll learn this from uh, those that have been around Fernandinho for a while, the shithousery as well. I think Phillips offers a different profile to Rodri. I don't see him as Rodri's understudy. Um, I think he will be used when we need him for very specific tactical reasons and also yes in a way to give Rodri that depth because I think Rodri was probably pushing into a dangerous red zone Mm. with regards to his fitness last season because the number of minutes he played was insane but unfortunately we just couldn't rely on Fernandinho Um, I'm really happy about this signing because I I do see him as Fernandinho minus 11 years kind of thing Um, I think he offers a lot. I think he offers a lot. And I do think in those kind of games where we do need to shut up shop like Real Madrid, if we were in a position where we could have moved into a double pivot with Rodri and Phillips, we see out that game. And the importance of that can't be understated. So I'm really excited to see him. I think we will see him used in all kinds of creative manners. Uh, And I do think after a couple of years of Pep's coaching, we might see him as that fourth or post-Gundogan leaving if he does see out his contract next summer as the the third or fourth number eight because he has shown that ability as well to go forward uh, in the England setup and I I, I think Pep will add that extra facet to his game so really really excited about the signing does it change the midfield three on opening day I agree with Adam probably not Um, but he does offer something different. I think we'll see him used in a way where he will prove his value almost immediately. And I also don't see Pep Itis striking down Phillips because he's he's had that time to learn under uh, under Bielsa. You, you said something there and it just hit me and you said Calvin Phillips minus 11. Calvin Phillips is 26 years old. Fernandinho has just turned 37. And it, it, it just hit me the fact that City were playing with a 37-year-old in the squad getting regular minutes. And it sort of it sort of highlights how important this position is. And I think I'm with you. I'm really, really happy with this signing. If not anything else, his ability to learn. And if you go back and he had a torrid time of it 
last season, I think we can call it. But if you go back two seasons, Leeds first in the Premier League or first back in the Premier League, some of the football Leeds were playing was astonishing. And he was sort of the glue to that midfield. And like I said, what he did under Marcelo Bielsa was insane. So let's see if we can if he can replicate that. And I'm sure he will under Guardiola. Um, right, last topic then, because we've been through an awful lot and it's on transfers. Obviously, Phillips came in. That opened the door for, for Romeo Lavia to go out, who had been sort of billed, Adam, we mean you spoke about him being the potential Fernandinho replacement back in February time. He looks as if, or in fact, it is going to be Southampton for him. But in terms of the wider trend then, he's one of a number of academy players who have either been transferred out already or look as if they're going to leave this summer. Now, it's a week or two ago since this sort of news. It felt that there was one day, I think it was last week, where there was about six players from the academy who had sort of either left or were linked with moves all in about a eight-hour time period. What are your sort of thoughts on this on this tra- in a sort of city's wider transfer policy this window? Because it, it feels as if, though, doesn't it, Adam? City have been trying to make as much money as possible. There are new FFP rules. There are new loan moves coming into place, and it may be a case of it being admi- administrative purposes and something that's sort of way beyond our not even pay grade, but just sort of attention level, like stuff we don't really care about, and that's why they've got to make money. Or do you think then there's perhaps something something else at play? Is City going to be going into the last week of the transfer window, putting in a £190 million bid for Neymar, for example? Uh, I hope not. I already I made my <laughs> my feelings known on Twitter about the Neymar situation and got a lot of a lot of stick for that. Um, but as far as the transfer policy this summer, it's been interesting. I mean, obviously, I think a huge part of this has been the new loan rules. Um, we'll call it the anti-Chelsea rule where you can't have about 750 loan players out. Um, and so I think that we'll see a lot more of these players that are on the cusp of the first team, probably we'll say one level below your McAtees and your Cole Palmers, players like Lavia, players like Delap, um, maybe making permanent moves, but of course there's always the buyback clause that City are going to insert. And that's going to be the new loan. Buy, buyback clauses are 2022 <laughs> loans now. Um, and, you know, it's it's fantastic business because you get these these kids in when they're, you know, 14, 15 for less than a million pounds. And, and you know, Lavia is going for 14 million. I think Gavin uh, Bazunu went for 15 million. Um, so you're making money on them. And if they don't turn out to be the players that you expect them to be, then you've made your money. The money came into the club. You can spend it how you see fit. Um, and if they turn out to be fantastic professional footballers, then you've got what probably down the line will look like minimal buyback clauses. I think the clause that I saw for, for Romeo Lavia is 40 million. Um, you know, if we're looking at 26-year-old Calvin Phillips in England International right now for 42.5 million, and we get Romeo Lavia back for 40 million three or four years down the line, he's 22 or 23, and he's a fantastic senior footballer. Then that's fantastic business. So, I think the business has been great. Um, the only time I started to doubt City's transfer dealings was we the screwy Nathan Ake rumors, which turned out to be fairly false. Um, but yeah, I think the business, especially with the youth players, has been fantastic so far this summer. 
Yeah, it feels as if uh, Southampton are one of three clubs, along with Burnley and Chelsea, vying out to be Manchester City 2.0 for various reasons and various different signings. But Ollie, just to, to wrap up then, this is what the CFG is designed to do, isn't it, really? Because there's been a lot of sort of hysteria around the fact City is selling all these great players. But when you actually sort of boil it down, the, the academy wasn't designed to create a first team 11 every five years. It was designed to create someone like Phil Foden and potentially someone like Cole Palmer or even James McAtee in the sense that these players are, I don't know what the exact number would be, but potentially one in every 500 or one in every thousand. And and the, the, the rest of the crop, the, the other 999 players who come through the academy or are assigned by City Football Group partners will be sold on to make profit. That's how City, whether you like them practices or not, whether or not you find it ethical, moral or, or whatever else, that's what City Football Group are trying to, to do to create a sustainable model. So the fact Romeo Lavia is going out, and deservedly so. He's he's a fantastic young player and will will no doubt have a superb career. City have decided it won't be at City for now. Calvin Phillips is coming in to do that role as as a senior pro. It shouldn't sort of raise eyebrows, should it? Or is that just being a little bit too pessimistic? I think it's unbelievable business. Uh, When you can draw £10 million plus fees for players who've never made a single senior league appearance... You snap their hands off at the end of the day. Uh, forgetting all other factors, just that one factor alone, if you've got any inkling of doubt about their ability to make it at City, and you have to remember here the, the levels that we're operating at, we are looking to have the best players in the world or thereabouts for every position that can play in a Pep Guardiola system. That is unbelievably specific. And no matter how good your academy is at the end of the day, you are looking at generational players only really, when you look at the pool of selections that we've got, which by and large, I think it's something like 80% are Mancunian from the academy. So just by the numbers of the lottery, really, we're looking at a very, 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 very small number of players that are really ever going to make it. So I think when you start pulling in fees like that, it's amazing. And from an FFP perspective as well, remember that the expenditures that fall under the umbrella of FFP are player purchases, playing and staff wages. The infrastructure investments don't count towards FFP. So effectively, the £14 million that you get is a free hit. There is no, that, that is pure profit from an FFP's perspective. You know, the Sheikh could put £5 billion a year into the academy. And if you sell a player for £5 million, that counts as profit. So the the, the, the CFG sales and the, the, sorry, the CFA sales make sense from a business perspective because for FFP they're pure profit from a footballing perspective just keep in mind the level that we're operating at and a player like Romeo Lavia as good as he might be let it be a reminder to everyone that however much these players are hyped up there is still an elite level to reach for them to ever actually break into our first team so a sale for him makes sense from a footballing perspective and just from a human perspective as well. You know, Chelsea's model of loaning players out all the time doesn't offer these players any sustainability or longevity. Mm. You have to keep these lads in mind because you've got to be wary of players that will just hop around on loan and then don't really get a chance to make a career for themselves or forge an identity at a club. So for someone like Lavia, he can he can he can make his own way at Southampton. If he ends up at a very good level, he'll find himself at a Champions League club. 
if he finds himself at an elite level, he finds himself back at City. So I think for all parties, including Southampton themselves, it makes sense. Um, we shouldn't clamour too hard for us to be consistently bringing you through because we don't want to let the levels drop. If they're good enough, we will identify them, they will come through. If they're not, we'll make a healthy profit and we'll leave the door open for them in future. Yeah, the Happy all round for me. Yeah, yeah, definitely. The alternative is is either Borussia Dortmund or Ajax, where those loan, those youth players, sorry, get minutes in the first team, but you don't necessarily compete for the big trophies. Um, we'll we'll wrap it there then because we've been through an absolute load today. Plenty of questions, so massive thank you for everyone who sent those in. If you want to sort of get one in before the next episode, just tag us at City Report Pod on Twitter. Ollie, it's been an absolute pleasure for you to return. You definitely won't be the last time, and it's. Been been great to have you back thank you appreciate it adam what's next for us then what, what what's on the horizon obviously season's coming up i've got a holiday booked in a week or two so i'll, I'll be catching some rays in in greece but in terms of what what's what's up on the horizon before the season starts have we, have we any plans and i mean that as a question because i don't quite know yet myself <laughs> yeah I don't, I don't really know the answer to that but um <laughs> great yeah i think we're we're getting back to being on a two episodes a week uh, schedule here as we head into the season finally. And I think we're going to have uh, guests like Ali and, and Alex from the MEN on every week. And um, yes, and obviously they provide, you know, fantastic insight. And uh, yeah, I'm just happy for the season to be back. I get into this lull, especially during busy transfer windows. The busier the transfer window is, the more my boredom peaks, yeah. to be honest. I like... <laughs> I'd rather the transfer window to be boring because then I can just kind of keep an eye on things. But these hectic, constant changing stories, even though I cover them for a living, um, I just can't be bothered with any of them. So I'm just desperate for some balls to be kicked. And we'll leave it there. We'll end um, it there. What, what you get up into, up into on your on your free time is is none of none of our business. But yeah, everyone's <laughs> there. <laughs> um, right, okay. We'll we'll call it a day. I've been Amos Murphy. I've been joined by Adam Booker. And I've been joined by Ollie Kershaw too. It's been superb. I've had a blast. We've all had a blast. If you can follow us and subscribe on whatever podcast platform you're listening along on. Until next time, see you later. Make sure you're geared up for Man City's end-of-season running with McDelivery. Great food delivered right to your door. By using McDelivery, you won't miss a moment of City's crucial running, and just like Kevin De Bruyne, they deliver your order exactly where you want it. Order McDelivery now on the McDonald's app. Are you in? At participating restaurants only, 18 and plus, serving times, delivery fee, and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.